I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. You know that people throw out the the idea that the odds of us being in a simulation versus a real universe, and that there's probably way more simulations than there are real universes. Or however they, I think yeah. I may be the only person that I know who actually would prefer to live in a simulation. I mean, at the end of the difference, or difference at the end of the day, I kind of feel like it's a distinction without a difference. That's what like, I'm thinking. We too. live in the reality that we have always lived in. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck does it matter? I'm not any less real than I was a second ago, right. but you know the thing that I get into it. This is the part that I really draw from it. The more I thought about it, is that if I live in a simulation, it means I can hack this and fix this far easier than if it was a real universe. That there's a way to get into the source code and like cure cancer, or to solve any number of problems involving resources or anything that you could essentially plug in the equivalent of a game genie if you could as a an artificial digital being affect your own universe you could essentially have magic you could you could change the laws of the universe and go okay i'm going to i can shoot lightning out of my hands or i could do whatever i could you know time travel i could do any number of things um that that makes the world more limitless, not limited. The fact that I'm not real or somebody could look at a series of ones and zeros moving up and down the screen, all of the matrix, that doesn't really bother me that much because, you know, dead is dead, whether, you know, I'm a bit of code that just isn't there anymore or if my body dies, you know, I don't see much difference there. Well, I mean, I would, I would say that if we are living in a simulated universe, the chance of there being some form of existence beyond this material life that we observe is way, way higher because there's already a system in place that is preserving that data. Whereas if we live in an actual universe, once you're dead, that you're just gone. Like yeah. there, nothing is going to back you up. You need right. to go into the realm of the supernatural. It seems to me though, that based just on those two things that you have said, that this it's an, it's basically also just a theist's argument because a theist says, well, why, well, I would prefer to live in a, in a universe with a God that is, no understands who I am and listens to me because then if I needed him to cure me, he would cure me. Or if I needed him to help my dog or something, he'd help my dog. On the other hand, a theist would also say, hey, if God's there and we die, that's great because there's something after we die. So the idea of people want like really wanting there to be a us to be in a simulation to me is indistinguishable from like people who just want this to be a theistic universe. Well, I... I guess there's a similarity because if if there is some if we're going to use the Tron terminology <laughs> if there is a user out there isn't that a oh, god oh my users if there's somebody who is aware of us and can look at us from that scale well the thing is that you know you can you can talk about a capital A god and a lowercase god you know in in my opinion an uppercase god you know the big beardy guy living in the clouds has certain characteristics that are intrinsic to his nature as God, uh, all being all knowing, being all powerful. 
and in my mind, most significantly being all benevolent. And if you have a God as the creator of the universe who is not benevolent, you don't owe that creator anything for your creation because they did it for selfish reasons beyond just wanting there to be more things like itself. And so you have every right to rage, wage war against that God. Oh, we're getting into some Philip Pullman territory here. Um, what I, I, it's weird because I, I'm starting to see sort of connections between that and living in a simulation. Mostly, I just want a malleable sense of reality that there is so much clearly in the world that is fucking broken and how much easier it would be to solve that and how scary uh, the existential crisis is in a real universe versus an artificial one. But... I wonder, though, if if you are in the sense of programs and users in that sense, to continue the Tron terminology, um, wouldn't we have to be created for selfish reasons? Are the people at Rockstar creating all of those little background characters who are very simple and wouldn't be as advanced as we are in this sense in a GTA game? Um, isn't that building things for selfish reasons? I mean, what is, what is a selfish reason? Does Data's creator, Dr. Soong, create him for selfish reasons? Do people have children hmm. for selfish reasons? I mean, I think some of them do. But I think that there's an argument to be made that there is such a thing as altruism when it comes to the creation of life. That you can do that for reasons that are not inherently selfish, even if they can devolve into selfishness. You know, I think that a lot of people have kids not just because they want somebody to be able to pass their beliefs down onto, but because we can, that, that there is simple joy in seeing another being experiencing things for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, you're deriving some benefit from that. You get that joy, but you're also giving far more to that being than what you're taking from them. But I'm going to, you know, from that point of view, um, everyone I think who has kids does it partially for selfish reasons. And I ultimately, I don't think those little selfish bits matter. I don't think it's possible to create anything without a little bit of yeah. selfishness. Well, that, that might just be the hedonistic argument. This is you. This is like, you know, ethics 101 class where even people who do things that hurt themselves are doing it because on some level they like it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you are the person who, there's the there's the Nazi with the machine gun and he's going to mow down 10 people, you go and you blow him and yourself up with a hand grenade. You did that, and it really, that was pretty inconvenient for you, right? Is you this the trolley problem? Or no, no, I'm just saying it's, the hedon, it's like the hedonistic, I don't, I don't know what exactly, I wish I remembered the term. Casey, I don't know to tell you this, but you can throw a grenade. <laughs> you I, know what I mean. I, okay. These things would be far less effective. People would only need to carry one if that's well, how you use it. I think it's the idea that not... people are incapable of making choices that aren't hedonistic on some level. Mm -hmm. I, and I agree with what you're saying, Casey. But at the same time, I don't want to be presumptive and make the ableist argument that everybody is able to throw a grenade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe you literally cannot throw. <laughs> well, you should probably not choose the grenade as your weapon of choice if, if throwing is not your thing. It's, you know... Forehead-mounted laser laser gun is what I would do if you couldn't I, throw. I would, definitely, uh, I would definitely find another way <laughs> to move the explosion away from your body because... Well, now, see, that is selfish. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's 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 kind of the weird stuff. And talking about talking about that need to sort of 
uh, touch that nerve. I don't know if I've I've talked to you guys about this. I posted a link to a clip of this on the the Discord, but I have a new YouTube obsession, and I don't quite know how to feel about it because it's not altogether pleasurable, but it's definitely something that triggers an emotional response in me. Some of that response is anxiety, and it's a it's a reality show that the A and E YouTube channel. I guess just during the year of quarantine, they were going through their archive and said, hey, we've got a reality show called Airline from the early 2000s. And this is a show about a bunch of people who are like, you know, ticket agents and supervisors and baggage handlers and flight attendants uh, working at numerous airports in the early 2000s. So we're talking like a year or two after 9-11. So there's extra security. The str- probably the most stressful time to be working for an airline, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. When you didn't, no one knew what the fuck was going on. and Everyone was terrified. So so anything that vaguely happens that's a little bit threatening yeah. has just this extra yeah. layer of scariness on it. So um, the, the part of the show that is kind of like when you can't stop touching a sore tooth <laughs> is that I it and triggered is the only way that I can use to describe this. It triggers an emotional response that while not always pleasant is always familiar. And it comes from the years that I spent working in customer service, that there is something that drags up emotions that are oftentimes frustrated and, and just anxieties. So, Frequently, what happens on this show is you get to see people who are on camera. So the level of, you know, that shell you put around yourself to be able to talk to people in an even professional tone, uh, it's heightened now. Sure. There's the, the other side. When somebody is a screamy lunatic, there is now a record. Um, that is relaxing. And believe me, there's a record because <laughs> the people on this show, um, are goddamn superheroes. And I have never had this sort of parasocial, intense connection to any reality show ever. Clearly, these people are just trying to do their fucking jobs. And 10% of the show is not allowing drunk people to get onto the plane because of FAA regulations. (laughs) (laughs) And people trying to deny that they're drunk. And this guy going, you know, you need to give me some kind of sobriety test. <laughs> and the, the agent just goes, I think I just did. <laughs> and it is amazing. There are moments where customers, again, this is this is the part it brings back. I've never worked at an airport. I've, I've primarily worked at bookstores my life. I worked at Barnes & Noble for 12 years, half price books for three and a half, border, uh, Barnes & Noble, no, Borders for two years. So I basically have a pretty full bookstore bingo card at this point. <laughs> and people are crazy. People are, um, they're unreasonable and they get angry. And one of the things that I get from this show frequently is is moments of wonderful schadenfreude because people will, people will get theirs. And there is nothing that is more uh, satisfying to me than a supervisor who who sticks up for their subordinates and refuses to enable the worst sorts of customer behavior. Because what I have found is that I would rather lose that business because when people are like, I'm never coming back here again. And you're just like, please do you fucking promise me that? (laughs) Because the last thing I need is you coming back. But 
when there's this one guy who just screamy on the first resort and you get to see a lot of managers getting called to deal with these people and oh my god this one lady is my fucking superhero for just going you know that is not acceptable you can't just immediately scream you know why am i waiting here there's like well sorry sir i know it's really sucks but there's been a weather advisory what weather <laughs> and it's just everything with this guy and he just start. it's like and he just always goes be professional be professional telling them and then immediately they give him a little bit of pushback and he starts screaming and again and then they go sir if you do this we're just not going to fly with you and they actually go and they're like they tell the other agent hey if don't let him on the plane if he crosses that line at that other ticket counter and he does and he gets on the plane and they're like we're getting him off the fucking plane (laughs) they're just like we're not gonna we're not gonna subject him to the flight attendants and going on there to get him off of there is the most satisfying fucking thing i have ever seen in something um this show is is bizarre. It only ran for three seasons on A&E and I can't stop watching it. And I can't say it's entirely pleasurable, Hmm. but it feels like it's dragging up this stuff that has been in the back of my mind because I haven't had a customer service job in maybe three or four years, but it is so utterly familiar. I was showing this to Piper who used to work at Joanne fabrics and she was just like, Oh my God. Well, I think I think anybody who's worked any customer service job for any length of time has had one of those customers. So it's operating on that like very low level, like we've all been there. But to hear you describe it, it sounds like there are three incredibly visceral things that are happening, things that appeal to us on like the very most primitive parts of our brain, because you've got the joy of seeing somebody who is good at their job perform a skill and customer service is emotional labor and there are a lot of skills that go into that so when you can see somebody just handling a problem customer and doing that well that's satisfying to us on the flip side of that you also have the joy of seeing somebody who thinks that they're a lot more skilled than they are or a lot more right than they they are having that level of immediate comeuppance. You know, it's the joy of watching Cops, which is a show that is not without its problems, believe me. the the entire premise. (laughs) But you get to see very foolish people doing very foolish things and immediately paying for it. With the abuse of state power. We're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. Um, But then on on the the third and I think deepest level, you know, there've been a lot of studies on very young children um, and primates, you know, monkeys and chimpanzees and stuff that show that they have an almost immediate from birth intuitive sense of right and wrong. And it's things like, you know, having a, a monkey perform a very simple task and get a reward for that task, mm-hmm. you know, a slice of cucumber. And then you go to the next monkey and you have it do the same task and it gets a grape, which is a much better reward. And then you go back to the first monkey who happily accepted the cucumber. You have them do the task again and they get another cucumber and suddenly that is bullshit yeah because it is is not fair and so you're watching somebody who is completely in the wrong and who 99 percent of the time is going to get their way because they're loud Mm -hmm. and they're threatening kind of siding with this monkey now yeah (laughs) to to, to see those people get shut down by Mm -hmm. a canny manager who goes no i'm not going to allow this 
appeals to that very fundamental yeah. sense of right and wrong that we're all born with. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, too, is that we have been inundated with this mantra that I think has ultimately been very harmful and has made people meaner and more abusive, which is the customer cust is always right. Yes, thank yeah. you. That's exactly what it is. And it's so not it true. It never made sense. It didn't, I, even as a child, it never made sense to me because it was it's really easy to imagine someone who's just a complete dick. And yeah. you're like, what, why? Why would but he be right? But there's a sense that you know we as wage slaves are thrown into this situation where we are asked to enforce a series of rules laid down by people who don't have to deal with these humans. And we, even if they don't make sense, it doesn't change the fact that I have to enforce them and get in trouble for not enforcing them. And that we have things like secret shoppers, which is essentially like the secret police of fucking retail. <laughs> I am sending spies in to make sure that you ask all of these bullshit questions. And it's easy for me to side with the sort of people that are... Um, stuck in these sorts of situations because especially when it comes to airline, you have even less control over things like weather and it leads sometimes to the worst. And then I say the best customers and the best customer to me is not the guy who spends all the money. That's the best customer to my boss. Cause I'm not seeing any of that fucking money. That's not how this system works. You know, like, Oh, I spent a lot of money here. It's like, well, you think I fucking get it? No, <laughs> I, you're an asshole. Oh, I, I get the paid the same, whether you're nice to me or not. Um, the best customers are the people that stick up for employees because the thing with a bully is a bully either anticipates or gambles on the fact that somebody can't fight back. So, when somebody picks on a retail employee, they know you're not allowed to fight back. That your your job, your ability to pay rent and eat is dependent on you maintaining a certain attitude and series of responses, even if somebody is screaming at you. And we managed to do that. See, cops, it's possible. Um, <laughs> and they know that. they This person knows that I can't lose my temper. I can't call them an idiot. I can't shut them down. And I generally can't walk away. So they can ratchet it up. They can ratchet it up and they'll even do what I think is the worst thing, the most obnoxious thing, which is turn around and announce to the store that they're being persecuted in some <laughs> stupid way because I won't take an expired coupon. And from a different store. <laughs> yeah, from a different store. Or, you know, this thing is supposed to be on sale or I made a mistake and misread something. And now you have to accommodate me misreading that, even though I admit it was a mistake now. And I'm going to throw a tantrum. And when you enable that person, you teach them that tantrums on the first resort work. So the best customer that I was talking about is the person who will either tell that person to shut the fuck up. They don't even have to go that far. It's sometimes it's just good that if after I'm done dealing with the worst person, that somebody just walks up as the next person in line and just goes, huh. What an asshole. <laughs> that does wonders. So if you're in a position like that, even if you don't want a confrontation, just go, what an asshole. Those three words are magic because you you immediately validate the bullshit that somebody went through. And, you, and so that has been my goal as a customer, having been in customer service. And this led to a very scary heightened situation like in – Thing must have been 2003, actually about the time this TV show was coming out. <laughs> but I uh, was 
I was uh, dating a girl who was going to Wa- uh, Wazoo, uh, Washington State University in Pullman. So that's on the other side of the state. And I decided I was going to fly out there. And now flying out there is a little bit weird because you're flying to the other side of the exact same state. So instead of driving over the mountains and going through all that bullshit, um, it usually means going out onto the tarmac, into the tiny plane. And you don't know what loud is <laughs> until you step out there. So uh, I'm, I'm going out there. Um, I'm at the airport. And uh, they've just announced that there has been some issue with the Pullman Airport's weather machine. The Pullman Airport is basically a barn in a runway. You wait, wait, the up. machine that controls the weather? Yes, this yeah. it's HARP. That's <laughs> yes. what this is. It, it, Jesse Ventura was fucking livid. Um, but <laughs> the uh, so we go out. I, I'm told that you know, sorry, we can't. We can't fly you to Pullman. There's some some issue with this machine. And it's a tiny airport, so I imagine they don't have any or much redundancy. So I'm going to be flied to uh, Lewiston, Idaho, and then put on a bus and driven to Pullman. So it like adds 45 minutes, maybe an hour. I have a book. I'm going on a fucking plane. Of course I have a book. Um, so I'm fine with that. It's not my favorite thing, but, you know... Yelling at this woman won't solve it, but it turns out there's another person in that crowd who disagreed with me on that point because he decided that he wanted to argue with this woman and he was a douchebag in a, a letterman's jacket, which, oh. Im- which immediately sets off my my nerd defensive uh, thing. I think I-, I It's Flash arch- Thompson. It's Flash Thompson. <laughs> I arch my back a bit. This, as a nerd, this is my natural enemy in the wild. Um and he's already acting like a douchebag. So it's like confirming these built-in stereotypes that I've built in from God knows how much media. Well, the, the douchebaggery started when he put the jacket on. Yeah. This is only a continuation of something that began a long time ago. I think the, It's the, like a video game. It's a buff. The like thing, there's a douchebag level and it's like 50% more douchebag when he puts it on. And when he takes it off, he's 50% less. The thing is, with the, the thing with the Letterman jacket, though, the douchebaggery goes up. Uh, significantly after you're no longer going to that school. <laughs> but so anyways, Flash Thompson and I, he starts yelling at the ticket counter lady and just going, hey, excuse me, I was supposed to fly. And he does these like teeter totter hand motions like <laughs> wings with his hands, not drive. And he's using his hands as if he's driving his giant steering wheel. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, fuck, I promised myself I would do this. I promise myself. I know. I said if some some piece of shit like there, and this lady has to just kind of eat this shit because this is this is the the customer service deal, is the the typical agreement you sign on to, in 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 exchange for not starving, is that you eat shit from assholes, and then occasionally someone who makes slightly more money than you comes down, accommodates that person, throws you under the bus, and then uh, that person pretends to be your friend suddenly, and you just wanted them to die. So this is the the formula. I know it. I've lived it. I've tried to kill people telepathically to no effect. (laughs) Um, But I just go, fuck, fuck. I have to be that guy. I have to be that guy. And um, I've done this as as an activist where you have to knock on doors for a candidate or an issue. I'm really uncomfortable doing it. I always have been. So I've always taken the stance of just knock on the door. And once I take that first step, I'm, I'm in it. I can't walk away now. I can't run. So I go, fuck, I got to take that step. So I just say, 
hey, buddy, why don't you just stop being such a fucking asshole? <laughs> and he just kind of stops. And this is that moment where the assumption of bullying has changed. You know, somebody in the Street Fighter game has just put a quarter into the second <laughs> slot where there's a human that I'm fighting now. And I don't know how to react to that because I figured out I, what I can do to the computer, the lowly employee who has only certain moves that they can use. And suddenly there's a person that this could get violent. This person could punch me and not get fired. He turns around and I just said, she's just trying to do her fucking job. Why don't you shut the fuck up like the rest of us? And I just go, well, 9-11 was two years ago. If he starts kicking the shit out of me, I imagine someone will get down here to save me real fast. <laughs> <laughs> so I get into an argument with him. We start yelling at each other. And then they call for the section I'm into board. And I'm like giving him the finger as I go down there. Rah, 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 rah. And I get on the plane. I don't think about this guy. I think I'm reading. I think I was reading Watership Down. I, for some reason, <laughs> getting on the plane and reading Watership Down is a thing that I remember really, really clearly. Not thinking about this guy. I get into uh, Pullman Airport. Not Pullman Airport. The Lewiston one. It's time to go outside. Okay, get my bag. Go out to the bus. Get on the bus. And who am I sitting next to on the bus? <laughs> um it's not really even a bus. It's like a it's a van that you use at like an old folks home to uh, drive to like the casino or to go shopping. <laughs> a forty five minute bus ride next to this asshole. I get in. I I step <laughs> and I see him there and we lock eyes, and I think he makes the exact face that I do, which is a sort of mutual terror, like we Batman each other at the same time. <laughs> like, oh fuck! <laughs> and I just sit down and we just silently. Without anyone saying anything, just agree to not acknowledge each other for the rest of the trip. And I read the fuck out of that book. Which is the best possible thing that you could have done. And I do want to just add this on as a little coda. Even the guy who invented the phrase, the customer is always right, hated it Mm -hmm. within like five years of coming up with it because of how people misapplied it. Because his original intention was like... If you own a store and you have a product that's not selling, it's not that the customers are like dumb or that like they don't want the right things. Like you sell the products that people want to buy. That's the only thing. Well, it's an it's an immoral extension of capitalism. Right. It's I want this person's money. I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to pick a fight with this person. How do I make sure that they keep giving me their money? It's just as simple as that. And the problem, though, is that you enable bad behavior with that if you allow it, because the person who makes these rules and also gets all of the money is not the person who has to deal with this repeated abusive person over and over and over again. So the closer you are to that abusive person, the more likely you are to go, it's not worth the money to deal with this person yelling, say, racist shit at our employees. Like, we had a guy at Barnes & Noble that I, you know, because you get the Seinfeldian nicknames for these people, because you don't know who they are. <laughs> uh, but I nicknamed this guy Uncle Hitler. And Uncle Hitler <laughs> um, was exactly the sort of, had that kind of hard, you know, boomer energy that you sort of imagined. Um, slightly heavier set dude. I mean, I'm I'm not skinny myself, but uh, tucked in polo shirt, um baseball cap, Oakley shades, push broom mustache, a lot of stuff to say, completely non sequitur about Obama. 
And uh, How surprising. Yeah, he had a he had a lot of opinions. I mean, I'm no fan of Obama either, but not for the reasons this guy is. Um, this guy has a has a more melanin related issues with Obama, <laughs> I would imagine. And um, yeah, he he just got really upset one day because a lady not talking to him decided to speak on her cell phone in Spanish. And I guess that was a problem. So he came really close to getting banned. I think we should have just pulled the trigger with it because for the next few months, we got to deal with him dancing just up to that line. Cause we have to sort of make some sort of intangible decision where somebody is awful enough that we can tell them to not come back. And the problem is right on that line is unpleasant. <laughs> It's it's always like, is that racist enough to ban him? But meanwhile, the people at the office, the people who think the customer is always right, we go, I want that racist guy's money. So when, say, Kelly Marie Tran gets bullied off of Twitter and social media because she happens to be an Asian woman in a Star Wars film. Um, her coworkers, you know, the people in the movie who make the movie, you know, Ryan Johnson and, you know, Oscar Isaac and all those people, they'll come forward and defend her. Crickets from Disney, because Disney believes the customer is always right. And, and they're like, I don't know. That racist money is green, too. And <laughs> that's, that's that sociopathy of, of capitalism. And it's the, the funniest thing whenever these guys on the internet scream about how woke all this shit is. It's just a money decision. It's so weird, though, it's when a, I... When yeah. I think about it, the the there's a oh, there's a of course it's a huge gulf. It's the same species, but maybe it's the same genus or something. I don't know what whatever the terminology is behind the person who does this sort of thing online on a message board or the ratings engine or somewhere um, versus someone who actually does it in person. Because certainly in person, it's a lot harder because you actually have to confront another human being that then becomes the target of your garbage. Um, but I, th I think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not excusing any of these people or this behavior at all. I think that we are unfortunately feel so, if you're, if you're not wealthy or powerful or well-connected, people just have such a sense of powerlessness that the only, that uh, the few times in public spaces that they can exercise any s sort of their own autonomy is the poor helpless person who has less power than you the wage slave who's stuck at the retail job who's there it's so it, it it comes out it comes out of a sense of insecurity and a feeling of powerlessness that you know by and large we mostly all have so in that sense i can have a lot of empathy for them the part where it completely ends is the fact that that person usually is unwilling to acknowledge that the person on the other side of the counter is just like them too so yeah. if you if you are unable to but realize except that for the power imbalance is that they can right. get awful they could yell a racist thing at me and i can get fired and unless they're on a cell phone camera they can't get fired yeah um which is well, like i'm saying i don't obviously the people who are screaming don't think yeah. about that and this led me to the question but i think the screaming I, people do think about that because they they rely on that they rely on that to continue bullying me and that's why they know i can't fight back yeah, and well, that's why there's that look of sudden fear when that second customer steps in and puts a quarter into the machine right because they're like right. fuck this guy could hit me if it went wrong that guy looks kind of scary um it's 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 a strange thing but again it's it's what i get out of watching a show like airline is there's a there's a part of it that's sort of customer service worker solidarity but there's another part of it is that it is so easy to put myself in the place of that person because i've been there hundreds of times and then if you show that show or clips of it to anyone who's worked 
you know, anyone short of Elon Musk, who's probably never worked at a McDonald's or a gas station or whatever, uh, they've been in that situation. They've been in that situation where they know if it comes down to it and this person makes a phone call to corporate, they're not taking my side. They never will. It doesn't matter how awful they are, that unless they actually physically assault me, it's going to turn against me. So the stakes for this on me are way higher. And... Um, I mean, I get it. I it's it's a hard thing to watch. So when I have a situation on that airline show where a supervisor does take the side of their employees and protects them and says, no, it it's not just me protecting other customers from you. It's also protecting my employees from you. It feels fucking amazing. It's magical because, like you said, there aren't a lot of places where you have any power and the places where you suddenly have the ability to if offer out a non-negotiable no to a person who's screaming at you feels amazing. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll cap it with the my only point of wisdom here, which is that I read a long time ago. I don't remember where it was. Is what is the true measure of what's the true measure of the decency of an of a fellow human being, and that is how that person treats other people when they can do nothing for them. Yeah. Um. And that's my, that's my bar, right? Yeah. You know. If these people, the the uh, the airline drunk airline screamers, are clearly way lower than that bar because they're expecting to get something out of this. This whole performance is because they think they could they could benefit from it. You know, Radio versus the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Colleen has been called to gate B-15. Seems one of the passengers hasn't been on his best behavior. Okay, who's the one who keeps screaming and swearing? Okay, okay. Step back, sir, right now. Step back now. Okay, I'm going to tell you one time that that is not appropriate and it's not acceptable. Then okay. be professional. Okay. Be professional. Sir, I will be pro as professional with you as you are with me. To stand there and scream and swear at these people is not acceptable. Four o'clock, I've been here. Okay. Don't tell me the guy behind me is more important than me. Please don't tell me that. I'm not telling you anything, sir. What I'm telling you is that your, your demeanor right now with these employees oh. is not acceptable. Oh, say anything to them and they get pissed? Okay. Step back, sir, and I'll find out so what's going talk. on, let's and then talk. we will talk, talk professionally, okay? But you will not, you will not keep screaming and swearing. Oh, screaming! That's okay. cool. I didn't say a word okay. to them. Step, step back for a minute, sir, until you're calm enough to talk to me, okay? This let's is talk. Colleen. Okay, sir, do you want to try to speak to me now?
Lamp. Okay. I couldn't be more professional. I want to know, okay. when I was here at 4 o'clock, why I'm not on an airplane. You tell me. Okay. Uh, my understanding is you think that you should take priority over the other people Since that I've been are here. here at 4 o'clock. Okay. Yes, I do. Sir, everybody was delayed today because of the weather. You are what not... What weather? Okay. Do you see the storm? Okay. If you keep shouting at me, sir, our conversation's going to be over. I'm not, not raising my voice you to you. you Sir, you're screaming and swearing at these swear employees. You, you screamed and sworn at me since I walked up here, sir. It's not professional. It's not appropriate. Then and if it, can, if it continues, you will not travel with us at all.